John has been witnessing for Christ. There is the formal witness of a man standing in a pulpit or a woman standing up and, and proclaiming Christ and uh, so on and so forth, and maybe on a street corner, so on and so forth. There's, there's, a, there's a ministry for that. But all of us are in ministry. All of us are called to be ambassadors of Christ in our own life. Amen? And I want you to know, as I get into this, it's, it's, it's a privilege of the highest kind. There is no greater privilege. Sin is standing before God proclaiming his goodness. The world, what it needs more than anything, is the message of Christ. Above anything. Nothing is more important than the message of Christ. And it's our job. And that's what we're going to get into today. And we'll look at this from uh, Luke 21. Your opportunity to speak if you turn to your Bibles to Luke 21. I'm only going to read nine verses from 10 to 19. But these verses are in a chapter on the end times I will explain as we go along. Starting in verse 10. Then he, Jesus, said to them, a nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and to prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up, even by your parents, your brothers and relatives and friends, and some of them they will put to death. You will be hated for all for my namesake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord God. For who in their right mind would sign up for this? But Father God, by your grace, God, you have tattooed your name on our hearts by the Holy Spirit, God. We are yours, God. And we wouldn't want anything else, God, to be yours. To be in your bosom, Father God, to feel safe and secure and loved at all times, forgiven at all times, Father God. Have hope and peace in all situations, Father God. We would want nothing else, God. And Father God, help us all. When it comes to that privilege of being called out for our faith, that we take opportunity, an ample opportunity, Father God, to tell people why we love Christ. In Jesus' precious name, amen. In hindsight, do you ever realize you missed a great opportunity in life? Or at least you thought you missed an opportunity? And wished if you had another chance, you would do it differently. 
Don't we all have some kind of regrets? We could have done something a little better. It was a good opportunity over here. Don't we live in a culture that seeks, even demands equal opportunity for all? Isn't opportunity a sense of hope? How many of us right now, as we sit at church, are hoping for some greater opportunity of a sort? Maybe jobs? How about relationships? Education? Meeting famous people. Like, people like that. I'm going to the game. I'm going to meet so-and-so. I'm like, I could care less. I, I, really, you're looking at a man. I could t- Terry says, do you know who that is over there? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> no, I, from one person was insulted once because they said, this is so-and-so. And I said, well, who are you? And I have no idea who you are. It's like the whole world knows this person. I'm like, I'm, I have no idea who you are. <laughs> Opportunity makes for a good life. It really does. It brings hope, and it brings fulfillment. There's something wonderful about opportunity. I believe opportunity and hope and living life go hand in hand, and I believe that's our message for today, that Jesus does not want us to miss, and I believe a lot of Christians could end up missing this. I went into Google search just to look at some things on opportunity. I love famous quotes. Opportunity. I'm going to give you a couple, whether you ask for it or not. Henry Ford. Failure is only the opportunity for a more intelligent way to begin. I like Henry Ford. You would think he made his cars immediately. He had a lot of failures before he went on to make the the Model T and become the success he is. Peter Ducker. The entrepreneur always searches for change. He responds to it and exploits it as an opportunity. In the middle of difficulty lies all sorts of opportunity, Albert Einstein. Ann Landis has a good one here. Opportunities are usually disguised as hard work, so most people don't recognize them. I thought that was good. Go get a man. All right. I don't like that one. I don't like that person either. If someone offers you an amazing opportunity, but you are not sure you can do it, just say yes. Then learn how to do it later on. It's Richard Branson, the owner of Virgin Airlines. How about Milton Berle? If opportunity doesn't knock, build the door. All right. And it goes on and on and on. Winston Churchill has a good one here. A pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. Is a good one. The optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. Winston Churchill. And we're going to leave with him because that's what I believe our text is speaking about today. Where we see fear and where we see I'm not able, I'm not capable, I'm not, uh, I'm not prepared for this type of thing. We do nothing at all and we become pessimists and not, uh, help me out. Optimist. All right, you have to not feeling too good today, struggling with a, a, a migraine that's attacking me as I preach right now. But but follow along with me, okay, guys? This chapter has four parts. I only read one. The day of the Lord that the Old Testament speaks about is a big part of this chapter. Jesus is talking about the end of Jerusalem, which happened in AD 70. He's also speaking about the second coming of Christ. That fills in the blanks of the Jewish understanding of the day of the Lord when Christ comes back to judge the earth. And then the fourth one is what we're speaking about today is this persecution for our faith. And that's what I'm going to highlight today is just uh, want to speak about being persecuted for our faith. But not so much the persecution part. 
But the opportunity part, and that there's a learning curve, and there's a transition for a lot of young Christians, and some Christians never get over the hump. They just bow the knee to fear all the time. And I'm here to tell you, and I'm going to beat it out of you, not to bow the knee to fear. Listen, don't bow to fear of man. We fear only God and God alone. That is it. That's the only thing we fear, and we do it with a right reverence for God. This is our opportunity. From personal experience over 30 years, many believers could end up failing in this area. Or just, or just leaving alone, don't want to make waves, don't want to have a confrontation. But you're missing the opportunity. As Winston Churchill said, it's, just, it's hard work. Jesus came and died. Did you sing today? Did you enjoy Christ today at all in the worship service? Did you enjoy that? Christ paid the price for that. It didn't come easy, and it didn't come free. It's easy and free for you and me through faith, but Christ paid the ultimate price. And not just dying for our sins, but being mocked, mocked and scoffed at his own people. He was humiliated. Don't ever forget that. Christ experienced humiliation. Many Christians really do miss it over here because of the hard work of going through it. Because there's no short-term blessing attached to it. I hope you don't miss that. People like to be blessed real quickly. Sort of like a Coke machine. I put my $2 in, I got my Coca-Cola out, and guess what? I got my sugar fix, and I'm set. You know, but when you're witnessing for the Lord, and you're living for Christ, and you, and you have this wonderful privilege of speaking to people about Christ, it's not that easy. I'm telling you now, there's a devil out there that does not want you and me to open up our mouths. All right? But once we start to open it up, there's no devil in hell that can stop you. Please understand that. There's not a devil in hell that can stop us. Once we open up our mouth, that's it. It is over. Once you go through your baptism of fire and you fumble around a little bit, but you want to honor the Lord. And I'll give you a couple examples as we go through our text tonight. So for the first step, it's hard work and fails because there's no staying power if you're expecting something marvelous to happen right away. There isn't. You don't get no high fives. You get no slap on the back. You get no star on your report card from the past. Uh, you get nothing like that. But I'll tell you what you do again. God himself will tell you in his own words, well done, good and faithful servants. Let me tell you something. You'll feel a closeness to God that only comes when you speak for him. Now, we don't look for opportunities to create trouble. But what our text is teaching us, don't run away when they come. So we'll speak about that when I get into the text. Some people only see the potential of hard work. They don't see the big picture. They don't see the success that comes from it. When we go back to Edison on that. So it is for many Christians who are stuck in America's dream version of Christianity. And there are. There's a Christianity today in America that I'm here for the fulfillment of the American dream. 
And it's a message that are preached all across America. Guess what? You can't take that to the shores of India. You can't take it to China. You can't take it to Mozambique. You can't take it to deepest, darkest Africa. You can't go to the Philippines. You can't go to anywhere in the world and preach the messages you hear today. If a message can't be preached in every country under the sun, guess what? It's not a biblical message. Every message to be biblical should touch every Christian's heart no matter what context they're in. But we in America try to avoid, guess what? Hardships. We want to avoid difficulties. We don't want the, the congregation to be challenged because maybe it's too much of a challenge for you. So we, we keep things down. We, we put a cap on it. Because we want everybody to be happy. happy. Weren't we a happy church? Yeah. You want a happy church? Go to a church that's been persecuted. And you'll see happiness you never saw before in your life. Go to a church that has nothing. And you'll see happy Christians. Because all they have is what? God. And that's all they have. Because that's all you need. Let me tell you something, America is a tough place to be a, a witnessing Christian, and it shouldn't be that way. Ignorance on these matters is a silent killer. We need to bring it to the forefront. Jesus is not afraid to tell his disciples the truth. When you sign up here, you will be persecuted. Think about that. Think about the one, go on Craigslist. Looking for someone who likes being persecuted for their faith, uh, who likes hardship, who likes being persecuted for their, by their parents and their siblings. That's always a good one, you know. It's like, who's going to have to pay is nothing. There's no vacation time. There's no sick time. There's no, there's no insurance. There's nothing at all. Just hard times. Sign here. Click here. For some, the fear of man, they never overcome it. Think about that. Being afraid of a human being. <coughs> but you know that comes with the fall. It comes with sin. When sin came into the world, man became more afraid of man than they became of the living God. And that's what's going on today. Historically, the book of Acts shows us the imminent fulfillment of all these truths. This is Luke 21, not soon after this we're going to get into, I mean you get into the book of Acts, which I'm doing right now. You don't get into the first, the fourth chapter and Peter and John are called before the Jewish council for their witness for Christ, for healing a lame man. In the fifth chapter it happens again to the same two people. In the sixth and the seventh chapter it happens to a man named Stephen. In the ninth chapter we see Paul persecuting the Christian church. In the twelfth chapter Peter's imprisoned again with John. And in the same chapter John's brother James is beheaded for the faith. You're not even twelve chapters into the book of Acts and it's all fulfilled already. But we're in the 21st century now. So if you read the whole New Testament, all you see is persecution. You cannot read the New Testament and not see Christians being persecuted or suffering for their faith. But this brings a validity to our faith. And when you have that validity, when you have that witness on the inside, that you stand for something the world does not want. Man, it is precious. I would never give at all back what God has taught me and my wife when it comes to witnessing to family and friends, most who want nothing to do with us. But I'll tell you what now, over the years, me and my wife have won back everyone who threw a Bible back at us. We've won them all back. 
Our family calls us all the time. They love us. They want us to pray for them. They love our company. And 20 years ago, that was not the case. When we became Christians 30 years ago, they, they gave it to us. And you know something? We didn't understand that. But now, of course, I do. And I'm glad I'm in the position I'm in. And by the time this sermon's over, I pray you get the gist of this, that you too will look for opportunity to share Christ. Let's go, uh, that's my concern as a pastor. Let's go to our text. Luke 21, verses 13 to 15 is all I'll be preaching out of. Verse 13. Jesus says this. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. What the young church knew then, as do all maturing Christians do today, is that when you're saved, you are saved not just to go to heaven. You are saved to witness for Christ. We are called to serve Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Are you called to be a disciple? Or are you just called to get a uh, 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 get out of hell free card? If you're treating Christianity as I'm just going to heaven and my sins are forgiven, is that's as far as your Christianity can go. Please listen to the rest of the message, whatever you do. Hopefully that is not the case in this church over here. That there's a maturing over here. The greatest thing I've learned was sharing my faith. Living holy is a wonderful thing. That God forgives our sins. That God changes us from the inside out. That we start to actually live a life of holiness. Not just being good people. Not just being better people. Not just putting down the drinking and the drugging and the this and that. But actually falling in love with God and falling in love with humanity this is where it's at serving Christ can you see yourself a voluntary bond servant of Christ can you actually say God wherever you take me wherever life takes me with all its hardships I will serve you no matter what I'll serve you often in counseling people will be saying you know, I don't know if I should go here or if I should do this. I take this job or that job. Is it this woman or that man? And, and, and it's always, it's like this either or. Please, let me learn, teach you something now. Rarely does it come down to either or. In Christianity, as long as you are serving Christ, it's either or. As long as you're going to serve Christ, you can go to left, go to right, and serve Christ is one thing. But if you're going to go somewhere and you can't serve Christ, that's a bad answer. Me and John talking to somebody now, they can't make it here because they work on Sundays. Bad, bad choice. If work is taking you away from the body of Christ, if work is taking you away from the living God, if work is taking you away from the preacher of the gospel, bad choice. Bad Serving Christ is the number one criteria to serve the Lord. Being saved to witness is one of the great joys of the Christian life. Sharing our faith is a biblical principle that the new believer senses soon after conversion, as soon as I was converted, as soon as something happened to me and I knew I was different, I could say these words I'm saved. I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew I was saved. I knew my sins were forgiven. I knew Jesus is God. I know the Bible's real. It was maybe a week after that, I started handing out tracts. I started handing people tracts. 
Jesus loves you tracks. I can remember doing that, you know, because I had to tell people what was going on in me. Something had taken place for me and both me and my wife. There's no higher opportunity than this, than to share your faith at all. When we do, we're walking in the shoes of the prophets of the Old Testament. We're walking the way of the apostles of the New Testament. And we're actually following the very feet of Jesus Christ. Listen to Jesus himself in Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. And from Jesus Christ... The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus Christ is known as the faithful witness. And guess what? So are we. We are called to faith. As a matter of fact, John, the apostle, is writing this from an island as a criminal because of the word of his testimony. Because he would not shut up about Jesus, guess what they finally did to him? They put him on an island in exile to rot away. But guess what they didn't know? God met him on that island and gave him the revelation of all revelations. We win. It's a nice revelation, isn't it? It's like, what is revelation? What's going on? Read revelation. Read revelation to me. Me and John say, we win. We win. That's it. That's all gone. We win. It's all over. We win. Everybody else loses. We win. Sharing our faith can and will at times get us in earthly trouble. And I remember how I say that, earthly trouble. It did it to Jesus. It did it to everybody else in the Bible from day one, from the moment Abel took his brother Cain out and said, Cain, if you got your act together, God's looking at the heart. He doesn't care what the sacrifice looks like. The heart has to be right. Guess what? Did Cain like that message? What did Cain do? He killed his brother. And 1 John tells us why. Because Abel's deeds were righteous and Cain's deeds were unrighteous. He was the seed of the serpent. That's 1 John. From Abel to the Baptist to Jesus to us today, we stand in a long line of people who are proclaiming the will of God on planet Earth. Opportunity here means to actually step off and disembark. That's what the word means. It's your opportunity to step off and disembark, leave this planet, and speak about the God of heaven under the power of the Holy Spirit, disembark out of our little comfortable lives and take it on the chin for the Lord and proclaim your loyalty to Jesus Christ. Let's disembark. Does anybody need to disembark? Does anyone who needed to disembark? Peter needed to get out of the boat and follow his faith. A journey into the prophetic world. How's that sound? A journey into the prophetic world. You know what that means? That you stand there as a prophet of God and you proclaim the truth to people when everything in this world is being filled with lies. When they're trying to tell me that they don't even know basic biology, I said, no, no, no. A girl is a girl and a boy is a boy. I want every child to hear that. A girl is a girl and a boy is a boy no matter what anybody says. Anybody says. 
So you could say to a kindergarten teacher, you can say to a, a professor in a, uh, in a college, boys are boys and girls are girls. And then you tell them this, God's not confused. God is not confused. Get up. People are confused. Not even this generation is confused. And I want you to know something about that. And I will speak a little about that. Not everybody agrees with this nonsense. But they can't say nothing. You know why? They don't have the moral high ground. It's the Christian church's job to stand up and say, no, that's a lie from Satan. That's a lie from Satan. We don't believe that. Moral intuition teaches me that's wrong. Nature teaches me that's wrong. The word of God teaches me that's wrong. Three that wrong, you know what that means? It's wrong. Period. The word of God teaches me it's wrong. Nature teaches me it's wrong. Moral intuition teaches me it's wrong. So guess what? It must be wrong. That's it. I'm just going to start preaching. To stand there in our life, when we find ourselves in these opportunities, when people are questioning us about our faith, what our thoughts, and about the Bible, you stand between heaven and hell. You stand between life and death. And you are proclaiming the word and the will of the living God to a dying generation, to a dying world that's running around in panic, thinking they control the climate, thinking they control what goes on in the heart of men, thinking mankind thinks they can bring peace to this world you think the Bible's radical that's really radical only God can handle the big equation do we fight with them no we win them over this is not about a self-righteous proclamation not at all this is about simply standing up and saying you know something I love you but I disagree with that stance I don't agree with that stance. We got to teach men what reality is, not unreality. We got to teach them what truth is, not whatever. We got to teach them what good is against the evil. We got to teach them what morality is against immorality. That is our job. And that job will get us in trouble, as Paul told Timothy. All those who press into a godly life will be persecuted. We represent the invisible creator. And when we stand in these times of hostility, and I will get into them, you represent the invisible creator of the universe. And the only thing you have is his promises in your heart. You don't stand alone. Jesus did not stand alone. The prophets did not stand alone. The apostles did not stand alone. You and I do not stand alone. What Jesus calls this is an opportunity. I love the way he says that. Because people, we, gotta, we have to have a reverse understanding of the kingdom of God. It's upside down where people say, I don't want that. And they try to run away from these, these situations. We're called, if, if, if it takes us, that's our opportunity. I share often how many times this has happened in my life. I failed the first time. I remember being on a golf course, and I did something. I came back, and there was three guys in the county. They were all hawking it up and laughing. Bottom, these belly laughs, and they were telling a joke about golf and how you have to stand still. And, he's, and, 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 uh, and the analogy was, you've got to be crucified like Christ. Your feet got to be nailed. And they were all laughing. I was like, 
I was breathless. I was so ashamed. I had no, I couldn't say a word. I was ashamed. I was afraid. I, I felt terrible. I said, I can remember going home that night and say, God, don't ever let that happen to me again. Three years later, not even three years later, I walked into the gym. There was a guy on the floor. It looked like he was having a, an epileptic fit or something, a seizure. And there was a crowd of people around him, maybe about a dozen people who were all laughing. He's telling the same joke. I walked in. I got on my knee. I looked him right in the face, in the crowd. I said, Jesus died for your sins so everyone can hear. And all of them walked away one at a time. <laughs> The guy from the floor looked at me with tears in his eyes. He says, I'm a Christian. He came from a Christian family. I knew his family. They were born again believers. He was a backslidden Christian. And God got him that day. I was never going to let that happen to me again. I was violated on the golf course that day. They made fun of my Savior, and I did not say a thing. And I pray you are just ashamed if it ever happens to you. So you can pray the same prayer and say, God, I never, ever want to feel violated again. I will never let anybody speak about Christ that way again. I don't care who it is. You stand up and you tell them that Christ died for their sins. And he is the son of God. That's our job. That's your job. It's our job to tell this world, no, you're wrong and God's right. There are times when we speak to people about Jesus, it's our opportunity. We want to win people over and we speak in a very loving, caring, friendly way, a very sensitive way. And that is important. But there are times when you're caught off guard. It's not about conversion. It's about proclaiming the truth. Whether men want to hear it or not, it makes no difference. That's our opportunity. Even when our family, as our text says, you will be persecuted and hunted down by your own family members, by your mother and your brother, your sisters. They'll hunt you down and they will turn you over to the synagogue to understand something. That's our opportunity. I remember when me and my mother told me and my wife, why did you leave the religion? My mother, she never went to church in her life. She's telling me, why did you leave the religion? And I stumbled, but I told her, I said, Jesus is our religion now. Jesus is religion. There's no religion outside of Jesus. We go through these times. And Jesus is preparing his disciples for what was going to take place. And every pastor who's preached on this text in 2,000 years is doing the same thing. Take control of the situation. Again on the golf course about a year ago, two years ago, it was raining and all the guys were murmuring, complaining, 30 guys. A lot of them are big shots. And they said, well, one guy says, I got to go to mass today in a joking way. And they said, well, why doesn't Father Brian say a sermon? <laughs> so guess, guess what they got? Sermon. They got a sermon. <laughs> and I stood up in front of everybody and I said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that you don't have to go to hell. That God watches the heart. It's not about church. Go to church and love God. But understand something. It's about that. And I preached. Maybe two minutes. Nothing longer than that. But that was the opportunity. Because I learned... 
that one time in the golf course, I'll never allow a man to shame me because of my faith in Christ. Listen to me. Patrick Henry said it the best. Give me liberty or give me death. That's, that's our mantra. That's our call. Give me Christ or give me death. The last thing this world needs is a bunch of Christians who are not filled with the spirit of God. And when you're filled with the spirit of God, it's not about being super happy, but you will be. It is about fulfilling the great commission of going into the whole world, no matter how hostile it is to our message, and telling people about Christ. No matter how hard it gets. Jesus calls this an opportunity. Listen to the way Acts says it. In Acts 5.42. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And charged them not to speak the name of Jesus. And then let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Understand something. They experienced something that day they they never experienced before, ever. They experienced the honor of suffering persecution for the name of Jesus Christ. For a moment it's lonely. But then you sense the presence of God. Joy was overflowing in these men's hearts for proclaiming and getting beaten for Christ. Does that mean we go out looking for a fight? Of course not. Do you know why you don't have to go out and look for a fight? It's coming for you. Don't worry about it. I I guarantee you this. I'll bet you a nickel. I'll bet you a nickel. All right? You're not going to get into next weekend. Until the sermon is going to be ringing in your ears. You watch how people try to talk you out of your faith. You watch how people try to talk you out of what's right or what's wrong. You, try to get, you watch how people try to talk you out. Well, that's the way it used to be. I love that. That's, 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 that's the way it used to be. But you know, the world is so progressive now. We really got our act together. We really know what's going on. Going on, you can't get biology right. How are you going to get theology right? How in the world are you going to speak about a God you never saw before when you can't get basic science right? He goes on to say this, settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how you answer. I want to read the message Bible on this. Jackie, do we got that? Okay, here we go. But before any of this happens, they'll arrest you, hunt you down and drag you into the court and jail. It will go from bad to worse. Dog eats dog. Everyone at your throat because you carry my name. You'll end up on the witness stand. Call to testify. Make up your mind right now not to worry about it. I'll give you the words and the wisdom that will reduce all your accusers and stammerers and stutterers. Basically, worrying about what you're going to say, trying to prepare what happens if they call me out is only disables us. It never enables you. I learned as a fighter when I first started fighting. <clears throat> I used to <clears throat> when I first started fighting. I, I, I get so nerved up how it was going to go that I couldn't perform. And then after you get beat up a little bit, you, you realize you got to relax. You really you got to be cool, calm, and collective. You can't be thinking. You have to have an a, a, almost a blank mind to really fight 
properly and compete properly. Eventually, I got to that place over the years. I fought for many years, but and Christianity is no different. We got to make it up in our mind. As soon as someone calls me out and says, you know, why do you believe, Brian? What makes this so important to you? Right there, right then, you start sharing your testimony. If someone's speaking to somebody B, saying something to somebody C about our faith in the wrong way, we're to step in and say, no, that's not the truth. I know Christians. I know born-again Christians. They're not like that. I know a loving, generous, caring, compassionate human beings. That you can't find no wrong, I know them. It is our job in this world today that I even have to preach like this because it's becoming political. I don't even like to use the word political in the pulpit. We are to make a stand, a loving, smiling stand, and never cower to people beating down on our faith. Are you with me? That is our job, to lovingly proclaim it. No threat. But don't be intimidated. Don't let anyone intimidate you in your faith at all, at any time. Husband, wife, uh, a father, mother, sibling, just say, no, I disagree with you. I think God has a better plan for my life than you do. Basically, worrying about it never prepares you for an opportunity. It only disables. But I want to let me give you a paraphrase. This is mine. Settling your mind and heart once and for all, not ever to try to talk your way out of being persecuted. Well, it's not what I meant. Well, it's not what the Bible means. And then you give all these sorts of disclaimers trying to make Jesus look like a good guy. A mega church in Manhattan, not going to mention no names. He's uh, the pastor to the celebrity. He's the celebrity pastor. He's on The View, and they ask him, is homosexuality a sin? Now you're in a lion's den. You're asking a Christian pastor on The View if homosexuality is a sin. And seven minutes later, he hasn't answered, and everybody's clapping. When The View and its audience is clapping, and you never answered the question, you missed your, you missed your opportunity. Very bad. It sounds like it was cutting edge understanding. It sounds like it was wisdom. It sounds like they really got it. Trust me, they don't. Opportunity means to speak the truth at the time. We need to see the opportunity to speak about God's truth in a world full. I just love now. You're looking at a man. I love when I get caught. I love being in the gym and people are saying, that's my opportunity to come across and say, no, Satan teaches that, not God. I get right in there. Driving home with this guy in my car one day. He was the CEO of a big company, Fortune 500 company, billionaire, lived here in Bay. He was a good guy. He was also sick, very sick. And after golfing one day, we're driving home and uh, I'm driving to doing about 60 miles an hour, it was pouring rain, the, the windows were closed, and he says, Brian, so tell me about your faith. I started talking to him about heaven and hell and about dying. If he could have jumped out of the car <laughs> at 60 miles an hour in the rain, he would have jumped out. <laughs> but here's the point. That was my opportunity. And I wasn't going to miss it. He died within a month. Now understand something. We don't get chances at this. Please understand. This is eternal life. Please. 
I prayed the sermon gets you uncomfortable. I pray you have an aha moment. This is about eternal life. This is about forever. This is not about I feel good because I'm a Christian. It's an opportunity. Are you ready? It gets better. Listen to verse 15. For I will give you a mouth. That's why we don't have to worry. And we don't have to meditate about what we're going to say. Because I'll give you a mouth and wisdom. Which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And that's what happened to the man in the car. When he heard someone speaking about the reality of mortality... He couldn't handle it. Because people speak about death all the time. But it goes in one ear and out the other. But when you get around a Christian who's well informed and you speak about mortality, we speak about it from a different perspective. We speak about the reality of it and it shakes people to the core. It shakes them to the core. It sounds mean-spirited, but listen, when I'm sitting there and I'm dealing with an 85-year-old man who's not well or something... You have to get to the obvious. Eternal life. You might not make it another day. You might not make it another week. We need to share the faith. But please listen to this. I will give you a mouth and wisdom. Do we think this is some kind of spontaneous words start flying out of our mouth? You think like the light bulb goes off on top of our head and all of a sudden I get all this wisdom? That could happen. But that's not what he's saying. If you read the book of Acts and take note of how they spoke every time they were accused, and I've done this, you will notice a common theme. The wisdom was biblical revelation. Knowledge is power. And when you know the word of God, and you know the will of God, when you have the wisdom of God in your mind, when those times come for the opportunity, the Holy Spirit draws that right out of the treasure chest, and he gives you answers, he gives you understandings to confound the most hostile critics, and to do it with cool, calm, and collective. Understand something. You are Powerful in the kingdom of God. It was God's good pleasure to give us the keys to the kingdom. I'm afraid there's just too many Christians that just treat Christianity as just some kind of glorified happy club. Let's just be happy and, and then let's just cheer and just pat each other on the back and let's sing happy songs. We don't do that in this church. We proclaim the truth. It is not about personal happiness. If you're looking for personal happiness, you're not going to get it. But if you're looking for holiness, God will give it to you. And holiness is much better than happiness. Holiness is something that you're pure on the inside. You're innocent on the inside. You feel like you can run through a mob. You can feel like you can run through a wall and it makes no difference what the world says. It makes no difference if life is falling apart. It makes no difference if you have money or no money. It makes no difference if you're sick and dying. It makes no difference. Holiness lasts forever. Ever. 
And it's the only thing we can stand before God and say, this is what I bring, is my character. You can bring nothing before God except your character. Not your happiness. God's never going to say, how happy are you? You happy? Oh, now, now all heaven's happy because you're happy. <laughs> but I'll tell you what one of the greatest byproducts of Christianity is. Happiness. True happiness. Because now we know what happiness really is. It's about being right with our creator. And now we treat each other with dignity and sanctity. And I see people as created in God's image. And so when we proclaim the truth, we're not yelling and shouting at people. When the opportunity comes, put your arm around somebody and say, let me share my faith with you. Think about this. Let me share my faith with you. You ever think about those awkward times? How do I start a conversation about Jesus? Do you ever have that? Come on. I see one, two honest hands go up. People often ask, well, how do you start a conversation? Honestly. Sometimes I just go to somebody, I'll say, how's your faith? I don't treat people as unbelievers. I just say, how's your faith doing? And then they'll tell me. I don't believe, I don't do, but I have a discourse with somebody now. That's the beginning. Other times I'll speak to people and I'll say, how's your walk with the Lord going? Or some people I just know don't have any kind of true religion. I'll say, do you mind if we got together and I share my testimony and my faith to Christ with you? Guess what? They either say no or sure. Guess what I get most of the time? Sure. sure. Take the time. When you're in a crowd and you hear that negative talk going around in the crowd, stand up. That's your opportunity. At the workplace, wherever it is, that's your opportunity. Say, so you know something, I think differently. As a matter of fact, I'm a Christian. I, I love Christ. Share. Create. Look for the opportunity. I'm telling you now, by the end of this week, you will have opportunity wherever you are. Whether you're in a gym, whether you're at home, whether you're with family, or with co-workers, especially in this high, tight atmosphere we live in in America today, you'll have more and more opportunities to stand up. And that's only on witnessing for Christ. I'm talking about morality, too. I share this all the time. I love when they start talking foul at the golf course or in the gym. I just simply go over to the side. You know something? I used to think that way, too. I told you a guy was in the gym. I knew him for years. I know the whole family. He was in the gym every day for 10 years. So one day he calls me over, and there's two other guys, and he's telling this real dirty joke. And I stopped him, and I put my arm around. I said, you know something? I used to think the same way. I said, but Jesus came into my life. And he was like, I, ne to this, I have never seen him again. I don't know where he went. I've never saw, I used to see him every day. I went to school with him in grammar school. Went to grammar school together. Went to the gym together. I ne never saw, he might not be alive anymore. I have no idea. So if you got, and then there's another, we'll leave on a sense of humor. You ready? Sometimes you just tell the annoying people in your life about Jesus and they never come back again. <laughs> so listen, two things happen. They either get converted 
or they never talk to you again. So, Father, we, we love you, God. Let us see the opportunity to bear faith, Father God, to show our faith, Father God. Thank you for helping me get through this sermon, God. And I ask you to bless the saints, Father God. Let us all know the great privilege it is to have the joy of the Lord in our heart, Father God, that we understand the difference between life and death. We understand the difference between time and space and eternity, Father God. They have no eternal eyes whatsoever. We live in a world that have no understanding that the day of judgment is coming, Father God. And they also don't know that they can be totally forgiven and truly holy and happy in Jesus, Father. Father God, help us all, Father, to share our faith in a really loving way, no matter what takes place. In Jesus' name, amen.